Hello, everybody. Uh, today is Thursday, January 4th, 2018. Uh, the day after Bitcoin's birthday. So uh, uh, probably should have recorded the, the block height at midnight to mention or anything. But the block height right now is 502,573. And so I guess uh, happy belated birthday, Bitcoin. Nine years later, and, and governments are shaking in their boots. <laughs> but uh, uh, real quick off the bat, though. Um, Wait a second. I think the... Okay. All right. Shoot, Janine. The part of that um, newspaper article is where it says you can eat out for five pounds. As many people have remarked, that's like completely ridiculous now. You cannot go anywhere in London and eat Gordon Ramsay food for five pounds. That's insane. <laughs> right, and like 501,000 blocks. That's like, golly, nine years. Yeah, it's incredible. I Like, you know, I'm doing like the, the slides for that meetup and I'm putting historical stuff together and I'm reading like where we were nine years ago and everything. It's, it really is incredible how far we've come. Yeah, that's like a little less than seven bucks in the US. I mean, Last time I went out to like a, a real burger place was in McDonald's. That was like ten bucks <clears throat> just for a burger. Yeah, inflation at its finest. Um, stealing from everybody that has a savings account every year is uh, it's on its last legs. Mm -hmm. yeah, and pardon uh, my morning phlegm, but uh, <clears throat> to get myself back on track. It's, uh, it's kind of relevant, uh, JW, it's with the two first things uh, I wanted to bring up. This um, ECB member, uh, Ewald, is if he's pretty much going for the, the, the furthest end of the spectrum as far as European policy. It <laughs> tax all the things. Every Bitcoin transaction should have a VAT tax. And there's even this quote here where he's he's literally just saying outright, like, it can't be allowed that we've just decided to stop printing 500 euro notes. And then this thing, Bitcoin, comes along. <laughs> you know. Totally. It's, I love it. I love the reference to the 500 euro notes, too, because if you've ever tried to, um, I mean, you can't take more than $10,000 across a border or on an airplane, really, because um, they'll look at you funny when they search you. Um, but when you look at movies and you see somebody walk in with like, you know, a hundred million dollars in a suitcase, it is uh, completely absurd. <laughs> like the amount of bulk that they've intentionally forced on us to move enough money to even buy a car is ridiculous. Like if you were to go buy a car with $50,000, you'd have to wear like special pants to hide it. in. <laughs> like you can't, you can't stick anything like that in a wallet for sure. Um, because we got rid of thousand notes um, and ten thousand notes a long time ago, so he's he's uh, it's it's a great way to say it, right? Like we we're we're already taking all these absurd steps to make it impossible for the economy to function without us watching every every penny that everybody spends all the time um, through getting rid of the five hundred pound notes, and then we're gonna we're gonna print a lot more euros too, so that those hundred pound notes are actually less valuable, right? They'll be twenty dollar bills soon. And then there'll be $5 bills. So we've got this plan, right? Like we built the Death Star, everything's going well. And then, you know, we can't let Bitcoin run around and uh, blow it all up. So well said. 
but there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and I find it kind of interesting because every time you know anyone says that Bitcoin is used for money laundering, especially in this case where he's saying that every single transaction should have VAT, um, every single transaction is money laundering. Like I, I feel like a lot of them forget what the definition of money laundering is. The definition definition of money laundering is where you receive funds. Um, after committing criminal action or through criminal action, and then you launder it into supposedly legitimate assets. So the idea that every single Bitcoin transaction is somehow money laundering, first of all, that's just really weird. Like, where do you have any proof of that? And second of all, the fact that they keep calling it money laundering, doesn't that kind of give Bitcoin legitimacy as money? Because very few countries, I don't know how many countries have actually... I think Britain um, describes it as foreign currency, but not that many countries actually consider Bitcoin to be money. So the fact that they're saying it's money laundering is um, kind of interesting, I think, every time they accuse it of that. Right. You're right and you're wrong, because like your definition of money laundering is what um, what governments tell us the definition of money laundering is. But the real definition of money laundering and the legal definition that they work off of is simply trying to make a transaction without the government knowing about it. And yes, that, yeah, that of course. Is, <laughs> that's, that's really disturbing, obviously, because if a government knows everything that you buy and sell, I mean, they might as well just, you know, just jack into your brain and just start making decisions for you. It's a really, really, it's far worse than knowing every conversation that you're having. Um, Actually, what I've noticed is that like the acting definition of money laundering is using the file financial system in a way that the government does not approve of or hasn't explicitly sanctioned. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's actually the way the laws are written and the way that they're enforced too. Um, so yeah, no, you're totally right about that. Yeah, yeah, and that can it... even, yeah, and that can <laughs> even include like completely legal things. But if the government doesn't like the way you're doing it, even if it's legal, they'll still look down on you for it. They'll, they'll also put you in a cage for it too. <laughs> Even if it's totally legal, you don't have to sell drugs to go to jail for money laundering. I mean, look at the guys that were arrested for uh, for selling Bitcoin. They weren't arrested because they were um, money laundering using Bitcoin. They were arrested because they were showing up and they were making exchanges for cash. And they didn't like that that was an untraceable transaction. So they called it money laundering and put them in jail. Or Ripple, who got fined $700,000 for operating a virtual currency exchange. Does anyone remember that? <laughs> yeah i don't know it's pretty ridiculous but not too surprising to hear out of a central bank i suppose because like you're saying it's really all about just sort of defining what you want and like how money flows and the control of that because i mean like in bitcoin we hear a lot of people say well money laundering should be legal and you know and you know i know we'll i'll say it's uh you know currently illegal and all but like you're saying it's not really well-defined enough to where I don't, it's just easily to interpret and say, hey, this guy's moving money in a way where we don't like it. And I mean, the whole idea of taking dirty money and turning it into legitimate money, that's pretty much the political process right now. I mean, you take money from, I mean, not entirely, but certainly a good percentage of that is where people take money from certain operations that are doing things that are illegal, and then they funnel it into their legitimate businesses. I mean, if you look at the success rate of senators and congressmen's businesses it's pretty ridiculous 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's, as long as that's something I, real quick I wanted to touch on is um, like the, the way you constantly have this money laundering narrative with Bitcoin. I mean, like how many major banks and financial institutions have been caught red-handed laundering money? I mean, to like the ridiculous point of HSBC literally rebuilding the teller windows to fit the fucking briefcases that Mexican cartels use. And they're trying to just be like, no, this Bitcoin thing that, that you can launder money with. Yeah, but see, that's money laundering to put money into the state machine. <laughs> Whereas the money laundering they don't like is money that's hidden from the state or they think is being hidden from the state. Exactly. As long as they get their cut, they're happy with drug dealing and arms dealing and all the other nonsense. They're, they're, they're even happy to, I don't know, set 100,000 civilians on fire in uh, World War II and specifically target civilians and avoid the military base, right? So the idea that there's any moral compass here is just, you know, it's been absurd for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And um, one random piece of uh, information, um, totally on a tangent, Google's Panopticon AI has apparently decided that I should be getting um, news story alerts directly from Google citing Coindesk on my phone. So uh, yeah, that just happened. I've got a couple of those too. It's like, oh goodness, I know they're watching what I'm doing for sure. Don't worry, you're not on a Bitcoin list. Nobody's ever going to want that Bitcoin list, and nobody's ever going to show up at your house asking about Bitcoin. Don't worry about it. You're you're fine. Google is really safe, so whatever data they compile on you, that stuff is rock solid, brother. Don't don't ever worry about that stuff getting hacked by uh, you know bad guys. You're good. You're good. Well, Shinobi be you're lucky because at least you are a dude because according to google analytics as uh elaine tweeted about a few days ago um google analytics considers anyone who visits a bitcoin site to most likely be a dude which is why you see all these statistics about how 95 percent of bitcoin users are men which how the hell do you get to that conclusion because even if you did find a rock solid correlation um or evidence that 95% of the people who are going to Bitcoin websites are men, that does not automatically translate into 95% of Bitcoin users are men because, hey, this is a pseudonymous system and browsing the web does not mean that you necessarily have Bitcoin. But yeah, at least you're lucky because the ads you get will at least be somewhat relevant to a dude, whereas I get ads all the time about... Um, <laughs> pills but, shall we say but janine but janine we 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 know that i don't see ads because my ad blocker is in my brain well, <laughs> i i don't i don't see ads because i use things like ad nauseum which google has not managed to siphon out of my operating system <laughs> right definitely a yeah. lot of gentlemen in the space but yeah the pseudonymous nature of this they shouldn't assume that kind of thing mm -hmm. and i just don't i don't buy that kind of like statistic at this point just anecdotally looking around on twitter i mean unless people and unless the new thing has just become you use a woman's picture just to mess with people like i i just don't buy that. there's definitely some more popular women in bitcoin you know on twitter it's just like uh yeah it's like yeah there's definitely some evidence to suggest the other
the other side of that. Mm -hmm. And speaking of other sides, the um, the the ECB uh, obviously has its figures being very anti Bitcoin in, in the attitudes they're espousing. Whereas in Ghana, I'm sure everybody knows by now, a uh, a very well known businessman is pretty much recommending that. Uh, the Ghana Central Bank invest a small chunk of their, their currency reserves into Bitcoin. And I, I got to say, I completely agree with this case, uh, <laughs> aside from just, you know, um, get more people into Bitcoin um, when moons are. Uh, just like the, the idea that if some of the, the banks or government institutions of different African countries can make small investments now in Bitcoin, and then try to recapitalize on that going forward. I mean, I think it's it's really a rational plan. And he kind of spells out a lot of the logic in here. Like, not only would this be a capital basis to try to flip around and invest in infrastructure, but being on something like a, a blockchain, uh, government assets would be a lot more open to public auditability. Like, people could just see how much assets, black and white, is in an address that is being controlled by a government official and see exactly where and when that moves on the blockchain. And I mean, I think this is like, this is kind of the, the trend I think that we're gonna see this year as like the, the big central banks, I guess, start seriously wading into the space. Like I really think we're going to see first world institutions kind of just try to smash this down any way possible, like demonize, like paint it as the, the drug dealer's tool. And we're going to see a lot of institutions in the third world kind of looking at this as like the great leveler. Like the, this is the thing we get in now. And the further this pushes into the population, like the more we can exponentially improve our standing in relation to other countries in the world. And like the, the, this is, in my opinion, like an infinitely better shot at correcting the economies in those parts of the world versus something like not continuing to be dependent on U.S. foreign aid. Right. Like this is something where I'm really excited to see, like, you know, Ghana taking this step because this is something that I've literally thought about and like I kind of see as really an important thing as far as just protecting ourselves from global economic fallout and uh the ability to do that with bitcoin and i mean like here's like he's also saying you know it just provides a lot of more information when it comes to you know auditing the government and making sure that these uh funds are being allocated the way they're supposed to and you know i mean this also kind of just like really interests me talking about the central bank and the way they're coming at this and then the way ghana is coming at this and because you know i mean as someone going into this trying to figure out what everybody thinks bitcoin is and understanding it and everything it's like people come from different places and they see it in different lights and um you know i'm starting to wonder if like people that are been downtrodden and like sort of come at bitcoin from the angle of this can help me you know are really going to turn out to be the long-run winners in this because you see these guys that are just not seeing the big selling point of it because i guess it's hurting them or you know, they just, they're just missing it. I can't really judge how they're coming at this, but I mean, um, it really makes me, uh, you know, hopeful for the future. 
to see something like this. And, um, you know, this is something that, you know, I'd like to see a model produced of something like this to where we can see um, a group of people protecting themselves. I mean, I like I mean, if we see that, then maybe more individuals will take that effort to protect themselves. So um, and I just think it'd be a great use case for Bitcoin. So, yeah, kudos, Ghana. This is awesome. Good job. I mean, like smart move. Yeah, obviously they're they're not doing it yet. There's just uh, somebody, you know, it's fairly influential in Ghana saying that it's a good idea. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I, on one hand, uh, I, I feel about it the same way I would feel if we heard that like the New York Mafia was planning on investing in Bitcoin. It's not. Uh, it's it's not like these guys are looking out for the people of Ghana. So are they going to use that power and influence that they get to? further mess them over or they're looking out for themselves right i mean they're in ghana (laughs) i mean like uh it's pretty bad over there all across the board right but i mean the guy that's saying this he's he's a he's a multimillionaire for sure um ghana just has you know they have they have people that are poor in ghana he's he's already on the hilltop surrounded by hell yeah yeah exactly but see that's that's the interesting thing though jw is like you know he's advice he's he's not going like ooh. I'm getting in, like he's probably already in. He, he's advising an institution that's responsible for the, the, the people at large and, and maintaining <laughs> like their situation. And I, I get your skepti- I, I entirely get your skepticism like of government JW, and I'm right there with you. Think, well, think about mean, the overall even, even if you're a fan here. of like the US government, that the government in Ghana doesn't have a track record of taking care of its people, right? So if they become more powerful and influential, the chances that they're suddenly going to start, uh, you know, instead of eating their people, feeding their people seems pretty slim. But on the other hand, you know, do we want all these institutions to collapse overnight? That could be worse. So uh, I have mixed feelings about all of it. I do, I do agree with you guys, though. I think, I think 2018 might be the year where we see uh, a move from Wall Street to the big guys, um, the central banks and you know, World Bank and guys like that starting to play in the space, which would just be uh, incredible. Because mm-hmm. it's it's don't not just think- like, sorry, real quick, but don't you- it, it's not just them like directly like central banks getting involved here. I think that is like the real kicker. It's the the tag along effect that that legitimacy will have in driving like other Africans to directly invest in themselves. And I mean, at the end of the day, these would be people in these communities like receiving this wealth themselves over time to be able to then reinvest into their local environment and i think that is a net positive well don't you think that the real reason that they're buying bitcoin is so that they can hedge themselves against you know i mean because the problem with inflation is that you know keep printing money and then you run out of money to print the money. So how, how could we not just see this as the government hedging themselves against, you know, the ability to continue inflating the currency in the future? Well, they're the ones that are doing inflating, right? They're the ones they could stop printing if they wanted to. It's just in their best interest to keep printing it and sticking it in their pocket. And I think these guys are probably tied to the U S dollar. I mean, most countries in the world are, are you know either directly or indirectly tied to the U.S. dollar, so they would have a little bit more motivation to break away, um, which it, it starts to get interesting, right? Like the U.S. government forces, for example, Saudi Arabia 
has to sell all of their oil for us dollars they're not allowed to accept yen they're not allowed to accept gold nothing like we made an agreement we're going to bomb your ass if you don't accept only us dollars and that's the petrodollar right it props up the the value of the dollar that's obviously not in the best interests of saudi arabia or if it was in their best interest we wouldn't have to hold the gun to their head and say you have to accept us dollars so if they start doing something like accepting bitcoin or um, really anything other than us dollars it, it, it's a i mean it's a, it's very much the heart of the empire and um where the battle lines are drawn is all around currency so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting but i i think you guys are right that 2018 maybe 2019 um we're gonna we're gonna see some really really big interesting moves and it, I, I think it might be the year where we start seeing Bitcoin at the center of a lot of these conflicts. You know, the the rumors of North Korea holding Bitcoin and sort of that stuff, I think, is the, the, the kind of precursors and the rumblings of this sort of thing. But it could get um, it, it could be the center of sort of international conflict in the next couple of years. Pretty heavy for sure. Although, don't you think it would be a smart thing for them to diversify into other altcoins like Stellar, which is 161% return on investment? I mean, it's not, it's not like Bitcoin had like 1,000 plus return on investment in the past year. Who cares? Let's go for Stellar. You know what's funny is that there, there is a certain irony in all of it, right? Like, they, they will. They will do that. The, like, the central bank is going to go... Well, we want to we want to get into Bitcoin, so let's get in ninety nine percent into shit coins and one percent into Bitcoin. So I guess there's always that. Shinobi, you have the Ripple tweet, right? I think we, this is the time to show it. Um, okay, all right. Breaking breaking from uh, my my scheduled screen shares. Bam! You just can't make this shit up, people. You just can't. Like, you cannot make this up. <laughs> yeah, so if anyone's not aware of who's in this photo, the top one is Gene uh, Sperling and Ben Bernanke. And then the bottom photo is two characters from Mr. Robot, which is E Corp CTO uh, Terry Colby and CEO Philip Price. Um, so, yeah, what do we think about Mr. Robot uh, prediction skills here with their? With their, uh, with their uh, <laughs> character it's, choice. It's an Illuminati uh, limited hangout. The whole thing is, is the meta meta commentary of the reality of what's going on in Bitcoin. Um, it's it's all a Chinese scam. Right. This is a real life. Um, God, there's like a quote about real life parroting. Parroting. Um, Doppelgangers. <laughs> well, of course, they look like doppelgangers, but it's like uh, real life, you know, kind of just reenacting drama and the way that it plays out like this. I mean, you know, the Mr. Robot story is pretty closely tied to Bitcoin and everything. So to see it like, you know, just it's kind of back and forth because like the story line sometimes gets ahead of the narrative. And now they feel like they got to catch up, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, guys, like you should all be prepared. In the next year, you are going to see, well, I'm kind of conflicted because apparently banks have been um, quietly saying that they don't actually use Ripple at all. They give it lip service, but they don't use it because it's like, well, we kind of just use the technology behind Ripple. 
right. but they don't actually they don't actually use Ripple. Ripple uh, is basically just a way for the founders to get rich on the fact that the banks are using the underlying technology of Ripple, <laughs> the quote underlying technology. Um, but yeah, there aren't any banks that are using Ripple, but I guarantee you in the next couple of months, we're probably going to see some announcements from some government saying, we're going to join on to Ripple. And it's like, it's all going to follow the Mr. Robot script because that's exactly what happened to Mr. Robot with eCoin. Yeah, there it is. But And then just... Just like Mr. Robot, we'll find out that Bitcoin is really just a transvestite Chinese person's plot against uh, ben, ben Bernanke. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That's Spoiler how it goes. <laughs> but uh, no, like it's funny because the ECB article mentions how, you know, they're pissed at Bitcoin, but they, they're jazzed about distributed ledger tech. So, yeah, it's the, it's the same story, isn't it? They'll, uh, they'll be learning and, uh, you know, it'll be, uh, interesting to see these, uh, dynamics play here in the next year or two, like JW saying, I think we're going to see, you know, some real, um, moves in, you know, that are going to be surprising to people because of Bitcoin. It's going to be interesting. I saw an amazing comparison on Twitter. Someone said that they wanted to explain ripple to bitcoin people and they said imagine if satoshi pre-mined about i think it's 13 percent of ripple that are held by the founders but imagine if uh satoshi pre-mined 13 percent of ripple and he only allowed him and a few of his friends to validate transactions that's what ripple is that is perfect <laughs> and welcome back stormtrooper thanks yeah i love ripple ripple's my favorite because it's so dumb that uh that's just great that it's bb cash and litecoin uh as far as market cap goes which is just a vanity metric anyway but um it's still there's a certain poetic justice in it there's like this really terrible thing i saw on twitter from uh kevin fam again talking about how one of the co-founders of ripple is now has more money than elon musk and like a uh, way to really screw up the incentive structure for humanity ripple <laughs> it's so dumb it's so dumb though i mean he's supposedly like worth five, i don't know 300 billion dollars or something like that but, like let him try to sell 10 billion let him try to sell like i don't know 10 million dollars worth of ripple right it would probably affect the price but there's no way that he could actually get out you know uh and actually like go buy you know an, a few islands or spend 10 million dollars worth of that 300 billion he supposedly has it's the absolute epitome of like completely, you know, fake profits. Yeah, I think that shows exactly how flimsy it is. And well, I'd never put value on that chain because one person decides to make a move and there you go. That's why, I don't know, this is about storing value, not risking it. And it's also about- but if you want to diversify, it's a good option. <laughs> like well, what's the point of, of what's the point of a blockchain when, when the goal isn't to be politically neutral or, or resistant? I mean, it just, it, it literally makes no sense. At, at that point, you just, you sign a database with keys and you're done. Like, what, what do you need a, a, a native token for <laughs> when, when you're not trying to incentivize that decentralized structure? It, it just, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't 
but I'll tell you an argument I've heard is like whenever you bring up Swift, well, that system's old. The infrastructure is outdated. It's not efficient. You know, like they just they're doing the hard sell of, well, this is the changeover. This is going to work better. But I think we'll know that it's just going to be more expensive and, you know, the whole overhaul will be very costly. But I and that, that argument considering using them like that's like it, it was swift may be old but do you have any banks that are seriously considering using you as an alternative to swift no and and also <laughs> like, it, it, in that argument what's the point of the ripple token why does that have value if all it's trying to do is replace swift you just you have the fiat token for the fiat in the system that you're using to wire fiat like where does the ripple token itself fit in to provide any utility whatsoever no that's, I mean, that's, that's the great thing about ripple is it's like four levels of retarded so anybody that invests in it just absolutely deserves every loss that they get like i, I don't i have zero like if you invest in litecoin or ethereum you know there was a narrative there right um but man Ripple is it's just so dumb. Like the only people that are buying it, if if anybody's buying it other than Ripple itself to pump up the price, are people that are just looking at uh, price line and going, oh, yep, yeah, I'm going to do some uh, momentum trading and uh, whatever. But guys, it's on a blockchain. It's got the buzzword. That's what makes it special. A hot item for sure, but... Uh, too hot for me. No, thank you. Yeah. But, all right. It's random Shinobi segue that I'm never going to get better at. <laughs> uh, I, I was talking the other day about how Hoibi is, uh, you know, partnering with SBI and planning to move into Japan and Korea. Well, apparently... Hoibi and OKCoin's uh, planned expansions into Korea are being put on hold due to the uh, KYC uh, restrictions that are starting to be applied to exchanges there. So I think uh, if, if my hypothetical um, Chinese economic attack is in fact the, the case, well, just got a, you know, a wrench thrown in that gear. Well, that's what I was thinking about when I read this. I was like, this is kind of interesting. I wonder if maybe they listened to that episode and said, maybe we might want to stop this and, uh, you know, where uh, Bitcoin's not really going to be getting in there. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, JW, it's like we're going to start seeing Bitcoin being, you know, used in these uh, in these ways where I guess it's going to become like really big global news. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a crazy, crazy 2018 beginning of the year. It's gonna be crazy. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, I don't one, think one super other... bad news. Uh, I I think it's just you know it's probably just part of the bureaucracy working things through. Um, I think they'll still they'll still end up firing up there. Oh yeah, but it's like the the landscape. I'm not sure how well they'll be able to adjust to it because I, one other thing um, article is I, I don't know who remembers or not, but um, this uh, Kaku or Keiko. I, my pronunciation is probably completely bastardizing. Probably it, but, cacao. Um, just, yeah, cacao. Um, just started in a, uh, a new exchange up bit that's apparently been thrashing even Bitsum in volumes lately. So not only are like entities like Hoibi or OKCoin that are you know foreign in nature, 
going to be dealing with the, the regulation issues that, you know, it's going to be a new kind of minefield for them to navigate. But you even have new, like, domestic upstarts in Korea kind of upsetting the, the exchange dominance in the area. And I think it's, it's, it's not going to be as kind of a clean-cut, like, transition to just jump into the market and grab a, a big, as they think it might be. Well, I mean, the, the centralized exchanges are screwed anyway to various degrees. Um, it's the decentralized exchanges that will really need to, to come online. And they're making good progress. Uh, BISC is pretty cool. And uh, local Bitcoins is getting better and better. So and those are the, the ultimate solutions for all this stuff. But, um, but I think these guys will, will they'll, they'll still provide some good on-ramps. It'll just be bumpy and there'll be hacks and there'll be regulatory nonsense and stuff like that. Yeah, I think you're and if you want to find out why exchanges are extra screwed, we have a story coming up later that we learned about just last night about why exchanges that for later. Yeah, I think ultimately it's just reactionary regulation of yeah, like oh gosh, there's this Bitcoin thing we can't control, and people are coming across borders and setting up companies, and uh, so. Yeah, it's probably just a quick reaction to that and um, trying to stem it at least. Mm -hmm. And other things, this actually just happened a little bit after the show ended on Tuesday. But uh, really quick, wanted to mention that E-Trade is now giving their customers access to the CME futures. And I'm actually really kind of interested in how this is going to play because now... Like, you know, a platform like E-Trade is pretty much the lowest common denominator as far as quick, easy access to legacy markets. And I'm kind of interested to see what the, like, the smaller traders in, in that, uh, that landscape, I guess, are going to make of this. And then also, um, Merrill Lynch has pretty much banned all of its uh, employees from mentioning or recommending uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust uh, to any any client, and so <laughs> I think this it's kind of a hilarious, uh, you know, opposing dichotomy here. You, you have the the lowest common denominator being brought on through E Trade, and then you have Merrill Lynch literally, no, you're not allowed to recommend this this one on ramp to Bitcoin to any of our clients. <laughs> Yeah, I could see parallels in this from like those two stories from like the Ghana and the European Central Bank as well. It's just like, you know, institutions and people trying to, you know, move up in the world. They're uh, they're taking advantage of this spot. And uh, yeah, I think it's cool because, you know, <laughs> my uh, old boss, he was talking about, you know, over and over, like, I can't access Bitcoin from E-Trade or, uh, or, you know, his little platforms he uses. So. Yeah, now he's got access. We'll see whether or not he starts uh, speculating on it. I'm, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, it just gives a lot more people the option. Yeah, Although I, I, I don't know how long, I don't know how long Grayscale Investments is going to be an on-ramp for Bitcoin because apparently now they're focusing on Ethereum Classic and Zcash. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. Oh my gosh. That's that's brilliant. I, that 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 like says what I was about to say much more powerfully. Um, I was just thinking like it, it's it, it's a little bit more justice that the people that look to Merrill Lynch for 
uh, investment advice, you know, that are, that are just sitting down with their brokers and saying, what should I do now, daddy? Um, these are the people that are not going to be investing in Bitcoin. And uh, I'm totally fine with that. I just think it's really like, I want to understand like the, the, the logic here because like they, they also restricted futures and like, you know, that, that kind of logic, I guess with the, you know, the way that's going to interact with spot market, I can kind of get, but like why, why ban discussion of the grayscale trust? Because that's it's literally just spot exposure, effectively to Bitcoin just through shares in the company that directly owns it. So like that, that's about as like safe as you can get, I, I would say, as far as legacy exposure to Bitcoin. And they, they've just gone full like no, like this isn't just like a this specific product is a risk. Just like no Bitcoin exposure. Period. Yeah. What was the last time we saw a big uh, a big I, statement from one of these guys? Wasn't it Jamie Dimon saying that Bitcoin's a fraud and being super vocal over the weekend while his company bought, you know, I don't know how many hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin um, at the same time. So maybe Merrill Lynch is just putting in a big buy order. Well, let me put it this way. I'd be I'd to buy a subprime mortgage loan from Merrill Lynch before or I investment advice investment advice from them about cryptocurrencies <laughs> honestly when i was reading this like you're talking about um you know grayscale and and we're talking about barry silbert and you know we hadn't really heard much from him since 2x and um i was kind of wondering i wonder if they uh are actually looking at that situation and like janine you're saying i mean like they're kind of moving further away from bitcoin i mean i i don't think they're that smart i think they are just trying to you know like we're saying either buy it buy a dip or you know, make sure that they're keeping their customers on their platforms. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Yeah. I, I saw something, I think Adam back tweeted about, it was another, another author, but, um, but the, the sort of the thesis of the article was that, uh, a lot of this altcoin pump and dump stuff is actually related to, um, big whales wanting to get into Bitcoin. And if they, if they try to get into Bitcoin, you know, directly without some shenanigans, then it'll drive the price up more rapidly. So they're trying to basically suck dumb money out of Bitcoin so that there's space for them to get into Bitcoin without without having to pay a premium for it. Pretty interesting. Um, pretty interesting idea. It, it sounds a lot more plausible than that people look at Ethereum and think there's value there to me. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can always underestimate people's stupidity too. Well, see, like, my, like, it still doesn't jive in my brain because, like, you know, JP Morgan was still at least giving access to their customers. Like, when, when their customers went, we want this, like, they were giving them exposure. Like, Merrill Lynch is actively, like, setting rules for their employees that's going to wind up fucking their customers over. And so that's I don't really thing. understand how that's I mean, their customers are sheep to the slaughter, right? That's that's their that's their business model is spend enough money on marketing and credibility to get people to listen to us so we can give them really shitty advice and then profit from it. Well yeah, but so blatantly, I mean, you know, when 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 we really start tearing off this year, like that's just a like anybody who who wanted that exposure or was asking about it is gonna be like, What the fuck? 
Like it's it's not going to be like a ooh we can kind of smooth this over. Who point blank just fucked me? How many Why? people do you think fired their investment advisor after two thousand and eight? Like how many people do you think were like what? You you got me into these mortgage backed securities, and there's three levels of abstraction of bullshit, and at the end there's there's some jackass that doesn't even have a job living in a two million dollar house. You're fired. Not very many, man. Not very many. Yeah, I think that's a prime example of how much, you know, they don't really care that much about leading their customers to the thing that they're supposed to be doing, like as far as like, you know, protecting their customer's value and trying to make more of it and all that. So, yeah, yeah the I'm system is really pretty, pretty uh, evil uh, and brilliant um, because there's so many la- levels of deniability, right? Like. Well, it's not Merrill Lynch's fault. It's somebody else's fault, and not somebody else's fault, and not somebody else's fault. So it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to lay blame. But it's not an accident. Like it's it's not an accident that the Federal Reserve System is super complicated. It's this big Rube Goldberg, you know, process that at the end of the day is really simple. But to, I don't even know all the mechanisms, right? There, there's a, there's just it's it's intentionally complicated and goofy. So I don't know. I don't. I don't see Merrill. I don't see a bunch of customers saying, "Oh, Merrill Lynch told us to stay away from Bitcoin. We no longer trust that institution." Not after all the reasons they have not to trust them already. Yeah, to harken back to the money laundering discussion, if you want a really easy way of uh, getting out of a tax burden, all you have to do three hundred billion dollars your subsidiary and then you don't have to pay taxes in that company or in that country where your subsidiary is and then if you want to get bailed out five uh 50 billion dollars in mortgage-backed security losses and then you'll get money from the government only do you not have to pay taxes you'll actually get tax money at the same time that's where it's not like i mean it's bitcoin's birthday right it's not like it's been that long since all of these shenanigans were played out um how much how much uh how much wealth was destroyed in the united states alone i think it was something like 40 percent of all wealth in the united states was destroyed that year um you know scamming and giving people bad advice and then going and personally buying a bunch of bitcoin is not even a drop in the bucket that's why like insider trading stuff it's like eh whatever you know it's 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 nothing compared to the um the this big huge machine that's just grinding up average people and spinning them out yeah and it's not only the wealth that was destroyed it was the potential wealth in a future that made that was all they destroyed the opportunity to make that wealth so totally i mean it compounds right like if if you went into any society and destroyed 40 40 of their tools overnight you know, and came back 10 years later, they would not nearly be as far along as they would have been otherwise. And it's the unseen part of economics. You know, we, we don't really know where we would be right now if we didn't have those constant vampires. But um, what but you mean, you can't say with absolute certainty that Bitcoin would be like a million dollars right now if Blockstream Axe Accord just stopped being stupid and raised the block size? You're economically illiterate, JW. I know security holes are just my box. There's nothing better than a good security flaw in a, you know, a multi-billion dollar cryptocurrency. Shinobi, my block size is bigger than yours and it actually works. (laughs) 
Good one. Good one. But uh, let's go look at let's go look at a hack around the block size. So root stock. That that's the thing still, I guess. And um, yeah, apparently the the beta uh, mainnet has rolled out as of yesterday. And yeah, pretty much uh, it is not publicly accessible right now. Just going over a, a lot of, of blah blah, like yeah, they're mimicking Ethereum's block size, and um, I'm, I mean, sorry, and then also going to the nature of this being kind of federated at first, and they even explicitly say, like the reason they're they're starting with this federation at first is because merged mine side chains have not technically been worked out to the point where you can put them on the mainnet. And I find this very interesting because, like, the, the entire selling point of this was that it's a merged mine sidechain. And the, the original statements regarding this would be that um, the, the federation would literally just be used as miners on board and then, poof, disappear. But I think that the language in this article is kind of trying to dance around that. And I don't know, kind of analogous to how Ethereum has just been going proof of stake like for forever now and not actually rolled anything out. I'm kind of getting the same vibe with Rootstock. And one of the things that really like bugs me is they, they claim 25 companies are a part of the, the federation that's going to be operating the, the Rootstock sidechain. This um, article from around August in 2016 is the only actual place I can find any companies explicitly stated to be uh, part of this federation. And it's only 10. So uh, BitGo, BitPay, Bitstamp, Blockchain, um, .info, Blockchain Intelligence Group, which is a chain analytics company that sells analytics service. Bitfinex, BTCC, Jax, Huobi, OKCoin, and Zappo. And you know, this, like, where where's the rest of them? It's twenty five. That's not even half. And as well, I like where are the public statements from these companies reaffirming they're still involved in this, like clarifying that they're like still actually a federator monitoring the the address and controlling the address on the main chain and helping like sign blocks for the sidechain because i mean jacks like they're gonna do this they've kind of had a little bit of a struggle just maintaining a secure wallet all they do is actually like run a wallet service i mean blockchain intelligence group why on earth is there a an analytics group that this whole business model is built around spying on people uh, as one of the the claimed federators for this from last year, I mean, like a lot of the if to, to, I, I'm kind of rambling, but you, you get my point. Like, where are the critical details and information that's that's not here in this announcement that they're going live? Yeah. On the other hand, though, I mean, they're not they're not shilling a token, right? So I give them a lot of credit just for the fact that um, their their motives don't seem to be. You know what I mean? 
they're they're not uh they're not raising money from average people that are too dumb to know that uh you know bcash is not bitcoin or that uh that eth is not a good idea so i don't know man i I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit just because there doesn't seem to be anything obviously dirty where they're they're snatching people's cash i'm kind of with you on that i'm just like uh you know i think uh side chains are pretty important for the uh you know for the space so it'd be interesting to see some um some innovation in that's that's that of things and uh like you're saying it's not a token yet so um yeah it's uh it's something that i'm surprised about just like which is interesting because i thought rootstock kind of just sort of fell off like i hadn't heard anything from them in a long time so um yeah it's interesting to see something pop back up from them and i like their plan i like the federated um uh i like the federated concept i think it's a it's a good way to go um to to solve a lot of problems so so sorry to cut I, you off uh, real quick but like th- that's my main issue jw is they are not being clear with any of that who are the federators how is this being managed on a technical level because like the whole trust basis of a federated system like this is the reputation of the federators where are they what are they doing how are they actually managing the security of this system? None of that was clarified. Yeah, no, well, I, that has to be clarified. I, I'll give you that. Well, uh, one thing they're not doing is reviewing the Segretrex code, which they, you know, signed on to do when the New York agreement was, or yes, the New York agreement. Yeah, they were one of the companies that signed it saying, we will provide technical review. Where were they? Huh, Rootstock? That might have been why I think it fell off was because I like was like, oh shit, like sort of disappointed in them. I, like you saying that reminds me about that. So yeah, like uh, you know, yeah, people fall out of the space and then you know, like Barry Silver being quiet and everything. It's like yeah, when they come back, I guess we still need to hold them accountable for that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's definitely. That's definitely disconcerting that they were part of that. It is. It's really hard for me to keep track of everybody that uh, that has tried to tried to you know basically destroy Bitcoin. So uh, I'll give you that. That, that well, definitely. I can, I can you just have list. to have no life. I'll the list. <laughs> a list really quick of the companies that um, I technical review. Let me get it really quick. Did they 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 were actually signer or participants in the New yep. York? Mm-hmm. And, and real quick while, while Janine's grabbing that though, like another thing is like, I'm okay with a federated trust model if I can actually like look at who is federating it and make a call there. But another level of just the, my, my shady spidey sense going off is this federator or this federated model is sold as an interim transition to being purely proof of work, which is not technically worked out right now while they're not even being explicitly clear on who all of the federators are. So I also see the potential for people getting into this, assuming it will transition to proof of work, which hasn't been proven technically viable, and get stuck in this, this group of federators that isn't even entirely publicly known or clear on how they're managing anything. 
Yeah, so here's a list of the companies. This is quoting from the uh, New York Agreement, which I archived, and it says, separately as of May 24th, the following companies have committed to provide technical and engineering support to test and support the upgrade software, as well as to assist companies with preparing for the upgrades. Those companies are Club Network, Bitcoin.com, Bitfury, BitGo, Bitmain, BitPay, Blockchain.info, Block, BTCC, Circle, Ledger, Risk Labs, aka Rootstock, and Zappo. All right, screw them. I, you're, you're dead to me, Rootstock. You're dead to me. I, I can't believe I wasn't paying attention and you bastard slipped under my radar, but I hate you now. Damn my crappy computer and lagging screen share skills. But yeah, there. Remember the names. At least until we get an apology. At least until there's a, oh, we screwed up. This is a really bad idea. Here's why we were, what we were thinking. And uh, we promise not to do anything like that again. At least until then, you're dead to me. Mm -hmm. And then, like, even, even the, the entire transition is, it, it, like, just this does not seem like a sound proposal to me. Like here is like the, the entire FAQ section on the Federation. Like this this is their logic for what the Federators do and can guarantee. And then it moves on to the checkpointing system. The idea is to add an extra layer of security on top of the proof of work and transition away from that when there is more than two thirds of the mining hash power. And the way this is organized is like it, it voluntarily you can stop enforcing the, these checkpoints. And so like, like how does that work at a game theoretical level where you have this federation that is completely opt-in, only accepting blocks signed by this federation that can cease validating that or enforcing that at any time? Like how do you move away from that? Like, how do you coordinate that? Like, just th th this entire project to me, as much as people, like, see it and go, awesome, tacking Ethereum on top of Bitcoin, now Ethereum has no reason to exist. Yay, kill Ethereum. I mean, like, just actually dig into Rootstock. I mean, like, it, it doesn't really make any kind of sense when you really look at things from, from a technological perspective and how they're going to meet these claims they're making. And also just like they're not being clear and transparent with everything. Like how on earth do you launch a federated sidechain without every single member of that federation openly attaching their name to it? I am here verifying that like making an entire process out of I am a federator, I am proving that, I am staking my reputation to this, and these are the, the steps I am taking to secure my keys that are an integral like core security mechanism to the sidechain. I mean the entire thing, like it's 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 insultingly laughable in my Like it's 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 making a joke of the, the level of security that should be maintained for a system like I'm I'm sorry. Did you say they're launched like they're live? Yeah, they've moved to the the beta actually being live to interact with the mainnet right now. Okay. All right. It's still 
still data, but it's functional. So you can actually transfer Bitcoin, even though it's if you yeah, if you can be if you are given access by by the federators right now who aren't even entirely known. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, that doesn't sound great. I'll give you that too. Definitely some shadiness there for sure. Like, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's one of those things where it's like side chains is a pretty technical matter, and to just sort of like you know say this and not really fully go into detail and you know and not really elaborate on all these parts of the system is uh, it's one of those things you should be suspicious about. Yeah, totally. and I'm also, I'm also inherently say, I'm suspicious. On the, uh, sorry, Janine, go ahead. So I was, I'm always inherently suspicious of anyone who says we're going to start out uh, centralized or federated, but we're going to become more decentralized or more permissionless over time. Like I'm always inherently distrustful of that because, like same case with bitcoin because bitcoin was designed to be decentralized even though it was not as decentralized in the beginning as it possibly could be it had to become decentralized as more people join the network but it always had that potential inherently um whereas if you're b purposely building something to be federated that means you have to go through a transition period where it and to keep the federation they have to go through a transition period where they go into the new type of architecture and uh it's a lot easier to go in the more centralized direction than it is to go in the more decentralized direction <laughs> so i'm always inherently suspicious of claims like that but it's a side chain you know if it was a cryptocurrency i'd be like no not interested wouldn't give it a chance um if it's a side chain it's like okay uh if you apologize for being part of segwit2x and not you know uh at least from what I can tell, fulfilling your part of the bargain in that regard and uh, putting your company's name on a product that could have destroyed the network had it been adopted. Um, as long as you apologize for that, I'll give you a chance because you're a sidechain. But... Yeah, I think that's a good attitude. That, that says it really well. I just don't like the 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 entire way this is being done. Like I, I have absolutely no problem with, with a federated sidechain or a federated system. But if you're going to do that, like, be upfront about it. Like, hey, this is what this is. Like, not, not this, like, oh, this meme of, but the proof of work is coming. We're going to transition to just the proof of work. Like, that's, that's doable, even though it's not really technically feasible right now, and we can't point to any specific concrete way we're doing it. And then on top of that, like, not even identifying all the members of the federation that is literally the core of the trust model like how the fuck is there not an announcement from bitfinex an announcement from bitstamp from btcc from jax from blockchain.info why are why is this not a huge thing all over twitter each and every one of these companies verifying this not the thing that we're all seeing and talking about on twitter right because anything short of that is just a laughable joke in trying to hitch a system security to to a federation. Well, this thing was just announced like today or yesterday, right? Yeah, but again, why wasn't this kind of like announcement from all the people involved in the federation part of that initial announcement? Why was this not coordinated in tandem with that? Maybe they're too 
busy listings or securing their server architecture after, <laughs> you know, some bugs came up or dealing with legal issues. <laughs> I suppose that would probably be their answer. I think it's just like a sign of the times, really. It's just like, um, you know, if, uh, you know, I don't, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like they probably should have had some sort of coordinated effort, but I mean, like it's just I don't know. Not many people are looking for that sort of information. It seems like, and um, you know, if you don't have to provide it, then you know, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like we're saying you should be suspicious about that sort of thing. Yeah, but and by the by the flip side though, like these companies should be less incompetent. I mean, like every one of these companies could have issued statements from their own websites, their own Twitter accounts, their own social media, coordinated this, timed this, and then actually taken all of that, dumped it into a fucking open timestamp, and actually all signed that with the actual keys involved with the Federation. Like you could, like this would have so trivially been an airtight attestation that these entities are members of this Federation. And they are validating that. They didn't do shit. Like, they, like it's it's like a meme to them. Oh, we just okay. Federation that solves all the things. Well, when when is money coming to this for our fees? Like that. It's, it's like no actual thought was given to the security model involved in it, and ensuring that it's like actually secured. That there is actually something to check claims against. Like it's. I, I seriously want to start screaming. Well, don't don't start screaming right now because it's probably like you know going to keep happening like until we start to see some real movement in the space for uh, regulation. So uh, yeah, don't get too. I, upset. I think I'm getting too jaded to get that upset about it. Like if if Charlie Lee is not like saying something where everybody's worshiping him and uh, trying to buy. Sorry, trying to buy his crap coin. It just doesn't get my blood boiling enough. You have to be you have to be really successful first before you get me that pissed off. Yeah, well, all right. Let's uh all right. I can't get everybody as pissed as me, but let's try and get people happy. Especially I'm trying to calm down. China <laughs> FUD! Ah so, of course. um the long and short of this is um, the People's Bank of China pretty much said in the meetings at the end of uh, this this last year now, I, I love being able to do that even though it's just like not even close to a huge chunk of a year ago, um, that they can't directly uh, regulate Bitcoin mining, but what they can do is pretty much lean on local governments to do so. And apparently they are doing that and trying to make slow, gradual moves towards pretty much uh, negating favorable power deals with miners and like kind of scale back the, the production of mining chips and the actual deployment of miners, it seems like. And like there's really a few different ways I could take this. I mean, this could just be like trying to temper the adoption in the country. I mean, this could be a slow rolling uh, like state level attack 
I mean, they really like that for all we know, like their goal could be get their hands on as much hash power as possible without making it obvious they're doing that. Just make it unprofitable. It'll get pulled offline and then ooh, where's that hash rate go? It can be collected in a warehouse somewhere for all we know. Or this could like, hey, maybe China is looking at the inevitability of Bitcoin and seeing that hash rate being too concentrated in China is damaging to its value proposition over the long term. I mean, like what, you know, when we, when we see these kinds of things from China, it's like there's, there's really so many different reasons that they could be doing this. And I mean, just, anybody else want to speculate wildly with me? <laughs> I'll, I'll speculate. Uh, it sounds like, um, from what I can tell, it sounds like they're all they're doing is saying we were giving free electricity to a lot of people, and we're going to cut back on that. And that could be because, you know, they have some uh, some idea of what they wanted to accomplish with that free electricity, right? Like if the idea was we're going to give electricity to companies that are going to fire up a factory and they're going to employ a bunch of people in this area. Not that I agree with any sort of government manipulation of the economy, right? I don't think it's effective, but if that's the intention, which it usually is, right? There's usually some sort of at least plausible story for how they're helping people when they're doing these sort of things. Um, so, you know, the bureaucrats might go, well, you know, the goal is to create X number of jobs with per kilowatt hour of electricity that we give away and that's not happening. So. I don't know. I mean, that, that, that would be the first thing that I would think of is that they just didn't intend this free electricity to be used in this way. And it's not, it's not scratching the itch that they were trying to scratch. And so they're just cutting back. That's exactly what I was about to say. It was just like, you know, there's so much like uh, mining going on out there where the electricity is just not accountable at all that I think this was just a big, uh, attempt this is an this is an attempt to uh try and clean that up and make sure that that is at least accountable to where they know you know okay these people are mining and you know there's some sort of uh state tax involved in that to where it's not just free and um you know that can definitely lead to some problems as far as just you know you want to maintain your power and then all of a sudden you got this little kid that as a economics and psychology major that's all of a sudden a really powerful dude in china so i mean like uh yeah there's uh there's definitely some incentive there to clean all that up yeah i mean like well regardless of like the the reasoning behind it at the end of the day i think this is going to be a huge boom to minor decentralization like the, this is going to be accelerating that trend from the exact opposite like end we're seeing like the pressure come from right now like the, there's already huge concentrations of mining facilities starting to appear in ontario and like areas of canada that are just pretty naturally cold so you obviously don't have to worry about energy expenditure for cooling costs and then just low electricity rates and i mean if we start to see like that that disparity between electricity prices for mining in china and other parts of the world really start to to close that gap like this is like on top of competition with hardware on top of just like political reasons driving others to get into mining like now this is going to be yet another factor that's kind of pushing things towards that decentralization is now like that power savings in china isn't as cutthroat and this has kind of been something like even before this was kind of a trend because 
a large chunk of miners in China, like uh, prior to like 2017, I would say were just outright stealing power. Like they the hundred percent illegal operations. And we were already seeing last year uh, a, a big trend of moving away from that kind of setup to things like the, the registered farms in like inner Mongolia that Bitmain's operating. And I, I really think like this is a kick in the pants to kind of accelerate like that that same kind of trend. And like this year I'm really like confident that we're going to start seeing the mining situation improve a lot. Like this on top of all the other news, like leading up to uh, the new year, I guess, over the, the last quarter of the previous year. I mean, GMO, DMM, Dragon Mint, like it's, Gion's not gonna be like the, the only big boy on the block at the end of this year. Like I, I can pretty much guarantee you at this point. No, definitely not. And I think you're, uh, you know, you're right on about that. I mean, like, there's a reason why mining centralization was going on in China, and it had a lot to do with that free power and the cheap power. And so, yeah, now that this is being cleaned up and, you know, like it's just being monitored more like it is elsewhere. So, yeah, it'll further just make it a little bit more even across the board and decentralize that further, especially with all these new guys coming on board, too. Yeah, it's... uh. A lot of different stuff happening this year. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty insane to watch. It. Excited about it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think uh, you know the the mining centralization thing is is mostly a function of how new the technology is. All new technologies tend to cluster in certain areas for a while until the things that require bigger investment have a chance to catch up and. Uh, Electrical power grids and, uh, you know, uh, hydroelectric power, um, nuclear power plants, these are all things that are like at the at sort of the apex of um, our civilization as far as how much tools and investment have to be built up in capital before that they can before they can be built. Um, and these are not, you know, three to five year projects. These are like 10 to 15 to 20 year projects usually. So Bitcoin's only nine years old. But yeah, I think we'll see we'll see a lot more um, normalization of, of mining. And that means it's going to move to all kinds of different geographic areas that have advantages um, eventually. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Chinese economy in the next couple of years It might tank and they might end up with a ton of unused electricity, in which case it would really suck back over there. But over time, you know, it will get spread out. And I think we just have to be patient with it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not the security issue that's keeping me up at night. But it's good to see that it's going away. All right, guys. A security issue keeping us up at night, though. Mm -hmm. Is is everybody ready to have Janine walk us through um, why your relationship with your computers is a lie? And <laughs> probably get everybody curled up in a ball crying. Oh, well, before we do that, I want to make one correction because um, when I was talking about uh, Ripple earlier, um, I said that I think I, I already thought that Ripple controlled 13% of the Ripple supply. I got numbers mixed up. It's actually five times worse than that. They control 66% of the supply, which is about 13 million Ripple coins or whatever it is. So, yeah, correction on that. <laughs> it's actually worse. <laughs> 
that's minimum. That's the ones that they like locked up in escrow and is certainly not under anybody's control except for theirs. But the other 40%, if I had to guess, I'd say that other 35% was controlled by about 10 people as well. Ah, oh, ripple, ripple, ripple. All right. We ready for the post-traumatic stress syndrome to begin, Janine? Trust none of the things. Everything is broken. Yep. I'm ready for the meltdown. <sighs> All right. Yeah, so I'm going to give, um, I'm actually going to read the description that um, Andy Greenberg had in his Ward article because I think it's the most uh, succinct. I don't, I don't want to go on too many tangents when I'm making my description. So, um, Please do. You don't have to read it. Yeah. Um, so the succinct summary of what has happened in the last 24 hours is that earlier in the week, security researchers took note of a series of changes um, that Linux and Windows developers began rolling out in beta updates to address a critical security flaw, which is, and actually it ended up being two security flaws, um, but a bug in Intel chips allows low privilege processes to access memory in the computer's kernel, which is obviously the uh, most privileged uh, area of your computer. And theoretical attacks that exploit this bug based on quirks in shortcuts that Intel has implemented for faster processing could allow malicious software to spy deeply into other processes and data on the target computer. So basically what that means is that um, if uh, if an attacker is is able to find a way to execute code on your computer, they can access uh, the memory, which it will obviously include things like passwords that you have used and other sensitive data, which is not a good thing. Or keys, you know, if you run an exchange, uh, keys could also um, be the target. And so on multi-user machines or cloud services like Google and Amazon, especially, uh, that could allow hackers to break, uh, basically they could target the hardware in order to access one user's data, but then because they're, you know, the way cloud services work is that they put a lot of users' data on the same machine, they could access other people's data on that machine. Um, so even if they're targeting one person, they could end up getting data from another. And so that allows them to uh, <laughs> a lot of access to anyone who's using Amazon Web Services, which um, I think if you skip ahead to Peter, yeah, Peter Todd. So he tweeted about this because, um, well, this is something I know, um, but also he knows a lot more about than me because he's actually um, consulted with a lot of uh, clients, including Bitcoin exchanges. And you may be surprised, but a lot of them are using Amazon. <laughs> Amazon Web Services, yes, running dis running uh, exchanges for decentralized disruptive cryptocurrencies that are trying to take on the government, and they're running it by they're running it in servers uh, owned by a company in the U.S. Yes, um, so he's saying bad idea. You should probably isolate the hardware, or better yet, t host your own crap, guys. That is the first thing you should do. Um, but if you want to know more about how bad this is, if you meltdown website, so there's actually two um, security flaws, not just one. Meltdown, um, the reason it's called meltdown is because it breaks the isolation between user applications and the operating system. So it's melting down the isolation walls. 
which is important because um, it apparently might, may or may not affect things like cubes, which it, the prime reason that people use cubes is because it's an effective isolation uh, mechanism, and that's what makes it secure. Uh, so we're not sure whether it affects cubes yet. Um, but the other um, thing that kind of is tied to Meltdown is called Spectre, which is why we the title of the show is Ghost in Your Machine, because they used a ghost logo for Spectre. And Spectre is um, between different applications. So it allow, uh, the description is that it allows an attacker to trick error-free programs which follow best practices into leaking the secrets. So Meltdown is breaking the isolation between user applications and operating system, and then Spectre is about um, breaking isolation between different applications. To, um, vulnerabilities that were found. Now, how bad is this? One person that if you have a machine that uses Intel chips uh, since at least 1995, you are probably affected by this. It is really that big. So if you're wondering whether you're affected by this bug, the answer is yes, <laughs> most likely. And uh, let's see, antivirus. Antivirus will probably not help you. I'm just going through the FAQ. And let's see. So which systems are most affected by Meltdown? Well, everything. Desktop, laptop, cloud computers, everything. Uh, like I said, most of it, uh, they're thinking that could go back as far as 1995. Uh, but most likely it will, uh, what they found because they tested um, this exploit on Intel processors from uh, as early as 2011. So they're the far back as 1995, but most likely 2011 based on the tests that they did. Uh, yeah, so this is pretty big. <laughs> Uh, and the reason, it's actually kind of interesting how it was found. I'm trying to find the section on the website. Um, it was kind of interesting how it was found because, um, as I read out at the start of the story, uh, the reason it got noticed is because Linux and Windows developers were trying to add bug fixes to Linux and Windows, uh, but they hadn't really publicly announced why or like what was the reason, how did the exploits work. And so a bunch of teams, including Google Project Zero, Daniel Gruss, who's from Gratz University of Technology, who was actually one of the speakers at Breaking Bitcoin, and he uh, talked about Intel SGX, which was, uh, as I've tweeted about before, it's being used by um, Ledger. And Ledger says they're not affected by this bug, but I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Um, but it's yeah, it's really it's a really amazing because all these different teams independently found it, and then it all just came to a head um, as of last night. So, yep. <laughs> Let's. And the other reason why Spectre is a good name is because they say this will probably haunt us for a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, reading into this is just like it's like pretty. You know, it's like. Um, Ever since Snowden, the idea of these zero days and everything really just uh, hit home to me. And now I was just sort of seeing like the, uh, I don't know, just more and more about it coming out. It seems like uh, this was, I mean, I was talking to AK in the mumble earlier today about, you know, is this something where you could see like the government putting this thing together to, you know, just make sure that everything's being watched. And I mean, like it looks pretty evident. That's what it is. I mean... It was well hidden, and I mean, I don't know, man. It's pretty scary. It makes me wonder if, like, 
there's like, you know, government officials down there on the production floor of these chips to where it's like the companies themselves are not really trying to do any of this. I mean, you know, they're definitely kind of going along, but it makes me wonder if like there's somebody on the floor, you know, putting, making sure all these zero days are in there. Cause it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's affects everything. And it's just, uh, I don't know. This is just, yeah, it's whenever we, me and AK, we're getting in that discussion of ever having secure hardware. This is the sort of thing that sort of makes me disillusioned about the idea of like, can that ever happen? Because it just seems like there's always going to be somebody on top of these guys that are building these systems to make sure that this sort of thing is there. And, um, you know, I, I, I try and, I don't know that far down the line, but I mean, like, hopefully we can create these systems. But for right now, I guess it's just becoming more and more evident to the public. I, get, I hope that, you know, how much they're at risk because I don't know. I feel like everybody should have been freaking out after the Snowden revelations, but for the most part, it was only like a few people. So yeah, I guess we need more bad news like this to freak everybody out. Yeah. The, the whole Intel uh, management engine, I think is what they call it is a really disturbing concept. And it's basically, I don't know how directly it's related to this. It's I think tangentially related, but um, the management engine is basically another CPU, just another whole computer that um, that's on your motherboard that you don't have access to, um, that that has the ability to process data, store stuff in memory. Right? It's it's a fully functional computer, and I I think you know there there are some good justifications for doing this in the enterprise. Right? You're, you've constantly got people that are you know surfing porn or something installing some virus and you you have to remotely reinstall the os and if you can have your it team do that remotely by still having sort of this secure uh computer within your computer that's you know there, there's good justification for that use case but it's still really disturbing because the way that they've built it it's not as if you know it's it's open source right so it's it's the core of the core of your computer and uh and it, it's not subject to you know open security review so that that's you know th that kind of harkens back to like the clipper chip and some other stuff that the uh the cypherpunk movement has been fighting against for a really long time but um th that's all disturbing this particular thing um is you know it's definitely bad news i think just a couple things to put it in perspective it's not remotely exploitable so you have to have code running on your machine in order to take advantage of this. And in the cases that I looked at, it looks like it's mostly administrative access is required. So in that case, you know, as far as your Mac laptop sitting on your desk right now, chances of you suffering uh, from this attack are pretty slim. And if you're installing malicious software from unreputable sources, you're probably screwed anyway. Um, but the, the AWS thing, uh, the cloud services, that's kind of what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting to see how bad that gets. And if we have some exploits in the wild, they're all saying that they're, they're patching it and it's not an issue. And some of the service, you know, some of the services that are using them are going to have to go offline for a short period of time for maintenance to get some patches deployed. Um, but this is, it's a pretty nasty one. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if it's one of those ones where, um, the, the, there's a lot of, you know, sort of follow on shocks. Um, so yeah, it's pretty ugly. Um, the, the one thing, you know, this is definitely not investment advice, but the one thing that I, I did think of if I was, if I was a day trader, which I have very little respect for, um, when, when Intel stock really tanked after, uh, after this announcement, like the fix 
is for Intel chips to maybe be up to 30% slower and all other chips too, right? Like the, the, the specter affects all of the other chips and the fix is to slow these way down. Well, if you're Amazon Web Services and you get a 30% hit on processing power, you're putting in some big buy orders like really, really soon. So it wouldn't at all surprise me if this ended up being a really good thing for all the chip manufacturers' stock price, but we'll see. And I mean, like this whole thing like really gets me asking questions because like when Finex was hacked in, in 2016 and, and we didn't really see any concrete details like come out even months after the fact, like this is this is the kind of direction where my mind started going is that this would like however they were actually compromised was just such a low level uh, like exploit that they could not have actually done anything to kind of secure against that and like part of you know I've, I've always thought that like if that were the case that would kind of explain the lack of an actual concrete explanation because that kind of uh like revelation immediately after the fact i think it, it could have just caused an outright market panic like you know, everything is broken crypto is fucked boom and like that that really is like that kind of changes the dynamic if, if that was the case uh, of that hack. Because if, if this really, if it was something like this, like something that low level, like literally at the hardware level that everything is running on, I mean, what can any specific business really do to defend against that unless they're aware of it ahead of time? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like if, yeah, if I mean, the, the foundation of everything is fucked, how can you place blame that something bad happened to you because of that. Well, I mean, because it's not remotely exploitable, unless you're installing software that's. Um, but bad. on a cloud where you can just get that fucking space, like bam, you're on the same machine, and whoops. Yeah, it, it's possible. I mean, I, I still, like I said, I'm still kind of reserving judgment that, that it's it's been exploited. It's possible, but. But, you know, for me, all this stuff is so, like, the real miracle in all of this shit is that Bitcoin's secure. Like, everything has been terrible for decades, right? This is all, like, cutting-edge experimental stuff. These machines that we've built are so insanely complicated. Um, what's incredible is that Bitcoin has found a way to abstract all of that, like, ugliness and nonsense out so that we can actually have secure digital data. That... I don't think that that is, uh, I don't think that could be any more profound. Um, and, you know, that's why, that's why I think more and more uh, the security community is going to get attracted and pulled over over time. But um, yeah, none of this stuff is trustworthy. Bitcoin is the really, really the odd, um, the odd thing in existence. So um, yeah, decentralized exchanges, right? Like it's not a good idea to have um, a whole bunch of Bitcoin um, in a single place. Um, or have a server that's connected to your bank account that has access to draw funds. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that whole setup, like, I, I think if nothing else, maybe this just helps everybody else understand just how fragile and brittle these systems are. Um, people in the security community, none of them are freaking out about this because this is just like this happens every few years. And this one is it's pretty good, right? Like, I don't want to downplay how how impressively shitty this is, but... I mean, it's not, again, it's not remotely exploitable and Windows on a regular basis, um, maybe up until just a handful of years ago, 
would have bugs constantly where, you know, the whole internet would go down, right? Because there's a worm in SQL server that allows you to take complete control of the database from anywhere on the internet, right? So it's not that, but um, but we're not that far away from having that stuff on a regular basis. So uh, yeah, these, these systems are, um, it's a cat and mouse game. And uh, and I think Bitcoin is, is pretty incredible to be able to function in a you know really secure way, riding on top of a lot of stuff that's brittle. Yeah, and I, I want to point out that one of the attack vectors, besides just if you've installed malicious software, is this connect, the actually the most common way that they expect this to be exploited um, is actually through malicious uh, JavaScript enabled ads. So if you want like a really quick, easy way to like, um, to get rid of a chunk of your risk regarding uh, meltdown, ad blocker so that you're not getting ads. You should also block trackers. And um, if you're not sure how to do that, if, you, if you're not really interested in um, going through the hassle, pick an ad blocker. Um, I mean, most, most of us, I think, use uBlock Origin or something like that. But um, another easy way is you can use the Tor browser because that um, has that has a little uh, setting that you can block JavaScript by default. Um, if you want to enable JavaScript, you can, but that kind of defeats the purpose of the Tor browser. Um, you can also use Brave Browser. Just don't use Brave Payments, as we've said before, but use the Brave Browser because it does have good browser fingerprinting protection. Um, so that's an e I mean, that won't completely get rid of your risk, but that gets rid of a lot of the risk because advertising is probably the source of most of the vulnerabilities that everyday people encounter um, regarding their computer security. Um, I think we should go through a few more of the links because uh, um, I think that would be good discussion points. Uh, if you could bring up one, uh, maybe from, let's see, Jonas, I guess, the tweet from Jonas. Yeah, or that one. So this was uh, one of the security researchers, uh, if you want to go back to brain smoke, I guess, um, that he's one of the security researchers that Wired interviewed and he was um, part of uh, the documentation for this bug. Uh, there, But there was a bunch of other people, like I said, from um, uh, Gratz University, especially in uh, Google Project Zero, who were working on, and of course, the Linux developers who um, issued patches uh, very, very early on. Uh, but if you go to uh, Jonas, or I don't know, yeah, so this is just a, a Trammel was just another guy who confirmed uh, the side channel technique that he used where um, you can read kernel memory. So pretty interesting, a lot of people posting examples of how it worked for them. By the way, the reason it's called fuckwit, <laughs> that, that's, not a, that's not a joke. Uh, it's actually, uh, well, it is a joke, but um, it's actually the name of the app that the Gratz University team came up with because they actually developed an app that could be used to defend against these kinds of attacks um, to seal secrets from kernel memory. And they called it forcefully unmap complete kernel with interrupt trampolines. And they apparently <laughs> ended up renaming it. To <laughs> They ended up uh, renaming it to Kaiser uh, Kernel Address Isolation to have side channels effectively removed, and that spells the German word for Kaiser. Um, I do kind of like fuckwit, though. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, and so then if you go to Jonas's, maybe. Um, 
so as we've already as we've already said here you know bitcoin has already kind of anticipated a lot of factors um especially with hardware wallets because the assumption when you're using a hardware wallet is that you don't trust your pc and you don't trust your PC to hold your private keys. That's why you use a hardware wallet. And he was just pointing out that um, Mozilla and Chrome had already uh, issued this thing. Although I don't, as several people have pointed out, they don't fully work. I mean, it's just a workaround for now because if they don't release something, then people are going to be like, why aren't you trying to protect our security? You're leaving us out in the open, blah, blah, blah. But this is a hardware issue, and that's very hard to software that it's not as it's not the, that effective yeah i mean like you're sorry Go ahead. well i was just going to kind of harp back to the bitfinex hack because you kind of got my mind running and listening to jw talk about you know you don't have remote access and i'm thinking about that bruce wanker video where he describes it talking about how he uploaded some software to their servers and then gained access like I mean, is that still remote access, like technically, or like if you upload some software that gets on their server and then yeah, no, that would be that's local access. So remote yeah. access is over a network, right? So right, um, but yeah, so that's, if, that's if coming running, man. It could have happened. <laughs> it could have, but there's so much easier ways that have been well known. I think. Uh, I mean, did this guy have administrative rights to install software? Because if so, it's like I already game over. Yeah. So well, see, that's what that's what I meant with like the you know if they're running it on a like a, an Amazon instance or something. If you're on a, a cloud server and somebody else can get like a, a VM instance on your specific piece of hardware, well, hey, now you're on the same thing and you're in your own VM instance, so you you have whatever permissions you want to give yourself. But what really kind of makes me wonder about it is like if that sort of attack took place, we didn't know about this until now, that would have been a classified attack, correct? Like, I mean, if that attack got exposed, don't you think that would have been like kind of showing like where the attack came? Like, I mean, it kind of. Yeah, I'm just saying if you, if, I, if I could see the NDAs in place and stuff. Like I, this, this particular attack, I still think it's probably a read only attack. Like, I think you can read kernel memory. You know, obviously, if you can get credentials, then. Uh, you know, username and password to the server out of the read-only attack, and, and you can escalate it to be able to own the whole machine. But it would be a pretty convoluted way to attack a machine that you already have administrative access on. Well, I mean, but you got to remember though, like the the specifics of of Bitfinex's setup at that time was everything was in a hot wallet set up with Bitco, and so all they would have really needed is read access to get those keys, and then boom. Like the the whole thing is burned. You know yeah, I mean? it's that's so dumb, right? I mean, that's so insecure that sure, maybe maybe they did this uh, pretty cutting edge, you know, recent zero day sort of attack, but maybe they also just walked in and logged in because <laughs> it sounds like they had access to do that. And if you have all the money in a hot wallet, you know, running on some Windows server, like it's not, it's like it's like trivially bad, right? Well, it was, it was stupid, but like, I just want to speculate like a little bit into like the idea that the attacker did use this. Like, wouldn't that have to be some sort of government contractor? Like, that's that's what I'm thinking. It's like somebody that had access to this sort of software. It, it's possible, but um, I don't I don't know who did the original, like how long the original research was known. Part of the problem with something like this is that 
because it's just so broadly, um, it affects everything, right? Like it affects every CPU and it's a hardware thing. So it's going to be really hard to patch and deal with and fix. The, the researchers that find this take that into account. So not knowing the details, but just knowing how hard it's going to be to deal with. My guess is that this has been known within a small group of people, including, you know, a small group of people in multiple companies, you know, like probably some folks in Microsoft knew about it. Some folks at Intel knew about it. So we're probably, I'm, I would guess maybe a few hundred people have known about this vulnerability for maybe, you know, a couple months uh, before it was disclosed. And again, I'm, I'm totally just speculating based on past attacks that I've known about that have been a real pain in the ass to deal with. Um, and uh, and that would make sense because it got leaked, right? So at a certain point, somebody just decided they were going to publish, um, you know, a little early and get some glory. Um, so, you know, it, it's possible that, uh, like, I, I don't want to say that the intelligence community doesn't do this, right? Like, that is that is their job. Like, the NSA, its whole purpose is to break encryption, right? That was why it was created. Um, and they spend a lot of money. Um, knowing about exploits, they usually put them in a database that gets hacked and then published to the internet, but they do spend a lot of money getting a hold of these exploits and trying to keep them secret um, and use them for a period of time. Um, and sometimes that actually delays patching stuff because there's dirty deals done where, you know, Microsoft agrees not to fix something for some period of time so that uh, an intelligence agency can take advantage of it. So there's a lot of dirty stuff that goes on, but um, you know, I, in, in context of all of that, like the world is so nasty compared to what most people think is going on that this is not all that shocking to me. No, it's not. I just like hearing Janobi say that, I was like, man, that makes sense as to why we haven't heard anything about it other than, you know, it happened. Yeah. And also, let's just say that if um, developers have a habit of sharing binaries over Skype, chatting to each other on Skype, GP, not signing the things they share. Let's just say it would be very one to uh, uh, give malicious software to one of these developers. Because if you're not, if you're not signing your stuff and if using Skype and Slack, like, I think I would consider Slack to be like a few, but they're both pretty bad. If you're using Skype to communicate, <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not in control of any critical exchange infrastructure of any kind. And I don't, I wouldn't even use Skype for personal communication. If you're using that for communications with other people who are controlling critical infrastructure, you are stupid and you are irresponsible. <laughs> And lazy. This stuff is so hard, right? Like you gotta you gotta try to imagine that you're some you're some developer that kind of has a nine to five, 40 hour a week gig. Maybe he just got a bad security review and he's got or uh, employee review, right? He didn't he got his three percent raise instead of the seven percent that he was shooting for. Um, you know, people take shortcuts. Like I don't think any of us would send our um, you know our backup seed for our Bitcoin wallets over Skype, but. <laughs> If it's somebody else's stuff and it's some big faceless corporation and you hate your boss, I mean this this is why uh, this is why you just can't like trust those big organizations to do anything well, let alone um, security. It's just the incentives don't line up uh, day in and day out to keep you from from cutting corners. Yeah, and I also want to point out because Peter below Peter Todd's tweet, he asked, um, you know, are there any businesses out there who don't use 
use a cloud services to as part of their hosting of their exchange. And I think the only answer so far when I last looked was someone who worked for Poloniex. And so it's like crickets all around, guys. Everyone's using Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cheaper and it's easier. And in a lot of ways, it's more secure, right? Like you have to make all these really terrible trade-offs. Like do you do you want to have all of your stuff in one data center and you've got a bunch of people that you know ops engineers they don't get paid like developers and they have access to all this stuff or is it better to have it in a you know a big cloud provider where it's not super obvious who's using what and most of the ops engineers to them it's just racks and racks of machines and the actual application is abstracted away um so they don't even know really which exchange is running on what um it's 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 a really bad idea to have your private keys in an exchange. There's no there's no good answer there. Yeah, could we go through a few more of the? Because there was a lot of other stuff that. Because uh, one of the things that happened is that I think I don't know if it's the demo video that's on the Meltdown website, but the demo video for the Meltdown X or the Meltdown bug, and um, it was actually deleted from YouTube and YouTube said it was because it was spam or something. Um, I think, who is it from? There, yeah. So YouTube, uh, Daniel says that YouTube took down their demo video um, because it was spam and it had deceptive practices and it was a scam. It's like a really weird justification. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that some stupid YouTube reviewer looked at the video and they're like, oh my god, this video is explaining how to exploit this bug. We don't want people to be hacking, or we don't want people to learn how to hack people's computers, and so they got rid of it. And it's like, well, <laughs> if, you, if you remove demos of how the exploit is done or how the bug functions, then you're also preventing people from fixing it, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this uh, centralized authority making decisions about our, our constant speech. It's really a great... It's really a great system. We should definitely try to keep this going. Golly. Yeah, it's certainly inhibiting us. Yeah, I mean, it's it is just an absolute shit show. And I mean, uh, kind of speak directly to the Bitcoiners here. Uh, Trezor is saying that they're unaffected by it. And Ledger is saying they're unaffected by it. Um, as far as any other hardware wallet, I'm not going to speak to that directly until they issue a statement uh, like KeepKey. I'm <clears throat> not exactly clear what the hardware differences are potentially between them and the Trezor, even though they use uh, Trezor firmware. But if, if you don't have a, a hardware wallet, or a completely air-gapped machine to manage your coins on, <clears throat> like, all I can say is pretty much don't expose your keys right now. Like, do not try to craft a transaction. If you use a wallet like Electrum that has a, an encrypted wallet file, don't access it. Like, wait until you can get your machine patched, you have your operating system patched in any relevant software, like, like Janine was saying earlier, Make sure that you're blocking JavaScript on your web browser so that you can't have any malicious code delivered through your web browser. But just, like, be careful. <clears throat> like, at the end of the day, like, uh, 
like JW is saying, it's a read-only exploit. So as long as you're not actually exposing your private keys to memory on a compromised machine, you should be fine. So just, you know, when in doubt, <clears throat> just don't mess with things. Leave your keys alone. Or for the win on this one. Yeah, and can you also show the tweet from uh, Martin? Because I that was that was like my favorite uh, tweet in response to this whole thing. Says uh, he removed, as you know, most Intel computers. Um, they come with this little sticker on it that says Intel is inside, and it tells you which core it's using. Um, generation of chips and uh so he said that he removed that sticker from his laptop because security by obscurity guys <laughs> totally you don't want you don't want somebody to walk by the office and see a big sticker on your laptop that says that you're vulnerable to uh meltdown <laughs> right back door inside i also saw um i think it was nadim uh, a developer of CryptoCat. he said that he bought a microsoft um 95 sticker and he put that on his laptop <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah and also in, in all seriousness if i think hardware wallets are the way to go um other than an air gap machine uh if, if you want to be able to easily and conveniently send bitcoin to people and it's more money than you uh you know it's going to make for a really bad week if you lose it all then get a hardware wallet for sure and i'm even though they haven't made announcements, I'm pretty confident that there's not going to be any issue with hardware wallets because they're not they're not running arbitrary code, and uh, that's kind of the beauty of them is that they're they're hardwired to only be able to expose certain data, and your private keys is not one of those pieces of data that they can expose. Oh, and uh, for, I, and for I, the, the screen share I just had, Minix is the operating system that runs on the, the, the Intel management. Yeah, so I just yeah, pasted a... The computer inside your computer that, uh, that uh, people have access to, uh, uh, other than you possibly, uh, that, that's running Minix. Um, but, but I think even though that part's open source, it's really like the architecture and everything else that, that is not really clear, at least to me. Yeah, so I want. I think it would be a good idea to feature this tweet um, because some people might have not heard that apparently Intel's. Uh, I think it was the CEO. I'm not because people are saying that he sold his sh a lot of shares of Intel recently, but then another person said that he did it over a year ago. Um, but I. That's why I thought this was funny because it's like you know the whole story with Coinbase. There's a lot of this uh, news about insider trading, so the sticker was especially funny. Um, but I do want to caveat it with the fact that, you know, if if you're at a company like Intel and there's bugs coming out, like major, major bugs coming out every couple of weeks, you know, if you're if you're a shareholder of that company, when is a good time to sell your shares that you won't get accused of insider trading? Like that's the only reason that Intel shares have kept their prices because once you buy in, you can't really sell because <laughs> because Anytime a bug comes out, it's like, oh, it's like insider bug. trading. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a hilarious point. But I, I, I kind of like this this reply to uh, to Ricardo's version. <laughs> this is trolling. We the, the goal is to be immature as possible. 
Well, in all this uh, bashing and stuff of Intel, I think that like we didn't really mention, like I read this though, that this is like something that's going across uh, across some uh, like AMD and uh, another one, I believe. Uh, just to mm-hmm. put that out there, because I know we're beating the hell out of Intel, but I think that this is a problem for other uh, companies as well. Yeah, there's actually um, ARM processors that are um, vulnerable as well. Actually, give me one second. And we yeah, will I think, I think Meltdown is Intel, but Spectre is everything. I got you. Yeah, well, um, whatchamacallit. Um, these are all of the uh, ARM processors that are known to be vulnerable right now. And one thing, um, or two things actually I want to point out is, one, the Cortex-A53 is is not currently known to be vulnerable. And um, as anybody paying attention to Slush's Twitter saw yesterday, there is actually a, um, I think like a, a little less than $300 laptop kit to put together a laptop based around the, the, the A53 uh, ARM processor. And as well, Anybody who has the the original Raspberry Pi or the first version of the Raspberry Pi 2 with the uh, the A7 Cortex, you guys are safe. Your Raspberry Pi is not compromised. And as of right now, those are the only specific systems that I am aware of that are, like, as of right now, like, not known to be compromised or vulnerable at any point. So... Everybody, get your pies out and let's remember what computers were like in the '90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so he's got some some round off thoughts uh, in the world where everything is broken. I'll say this, you know. Well, I, I just want to. I'm sorry, I was just going to say because it's kind of in the line of this discussion is like, um, you know, me and. AK discussing like the possibility of like creating, you know, solid trusted hardware and like, uh, you know, the, the Trezor and uh, the way that Bitcoin works and, you know, those two together, you could create like this network that's secure, that's just on Bitcoin. And like, it, maybe we could somehow get a ASIC node together to where we could like sort of just like have this entire system together to where we could maybe start building things on top of it. It gives me hope for the future. I'm not quite sure exactly how he explained it. He'd have to be here to tell me. But um, when he did explain it, it sounded like the possibility of it kind of opened up to me. So, um, you know, there's hope for the future. Yeah, like a, a special purpose CPU that's tailored just to run and, like, validate Bitcoin opcodes and do the very basic, like, data operations you would need to actually interact with the blockchain. I mean, like... You know, I'm sure there's a million people out there that would scream, oh, my God, more more centralization, got to buy a product. But like, if you, if you could actually get hardware specifically designed to just run Bitcoin code and validate Bitcoin data and verify that it's operating properly, like that would be a stupid security level increase for the network at large to have just a physical platform that's validatable and like specifically tailored to just operate as a bitcoin like that would be amazing yeah that was my my thought was uh 
I'm sorry, everything else is broken, but I'm glad Bitcoin isn't. So that's that's my final thought for the day. <laughs> oh yeah. My final thought is that I hope I never get shit again from a certain CTO about whether partnering with Intel hardware is a conflict of interest or a problem. <laughs> um, and I also <laughs> wanted to. <sh> <laughs> Yes, I'm talking about you, Ledger. Um, I also want to show this tweet because uh, I guess um, Slush just recently, or I, I'm spacing on his real name for <laughs> when these people change uh, change their uh, handles to their nickname. I can't actually remember their names, so I'm spacing on his name right now. Um, right. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. <laughs> mm. That's okay. I, I don't know. So Damn I'm have to be embarrassed. Anyway, he's anyway he's a really cool guy. He's the CEO of um, Trezor Labs, I think it's called. And uh, he, during all the chaos last night, uh, he tweeted this picture of a laptop that he was um, building from scratch. It's called Olamex. Um, he tweeted a yeah Olamex. I'll show the second one. But I guess I don't know if anyone's interested in kits to build um, computers. I am. I am now. Yeah. This is not this is not paid product placement. I just saw it yesterday and I thought it was cool because um, if you want to know what your computer looks like from the inside out, then you basically have to build it yourself. Yeah, mm -hmm. and to be sure, I'm not saying because of this tweet, it's just because of the whole Intel thing. That's why I'm interested. Yeah, this is actually um, this system uses the uh, the Cortex A fifty three chip. I was talking about that. So far, knock on wood, is um, not known to be vulnerable. All right. Ah, <sighs> okay. So, I guess um, yeah, I guess that does it for today. Um, Another good company in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I'm sorry. Everything is broken. You can't trust anything. Uh, I'm sorry to be the one to to bring you this news. But if if you if you muscled through and enjoyed being informed of this, you can like and subscribe. If not, well, um, I guess we won't see you on Saturday. But to everybody else, catch you then. Later, everyone.